Hi, and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsla. I'm a Women in Film and Television board member, and I'm also a producer at Tile Media and Jumper Productions. In the latest podcast, board member DOP Yara Valdick talks to board member Liz Gill about her work and career to date. Liz Gill is an award-winning screenwriter, director and producer, perhaps best known for her 2003 hit feature Goldfish Memory. Liz has directed a wealth of shows, from EastEnders to The Hardy Books, and is currently story producing on the Netflix series Valhalla. Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining us for our follow-up to our in-person, sorry, in-conversation series. Today I'm going to be joined by Liz Gale, our wonderful member and uh, fellow filmmaker. So hi Liz, welcome. Uh, Hello. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me and uh, to our members. We uh, are here today to discuss your career. I want to talk to you about your progress in in the career, the different roles that you that you um, had uh, as a filmmaker, and just to discuss kind of how you see the industry in in Ireland, where you where you see our opportunities um, for women, how maybe things compare to when you started out to what it's like today. So that, that, that will be the content of this discussion. And for those of you who maybe haven't heard of Liz, which I don't think is possible, I'll just say a little bit about her. Liz is a, a multi-talented uh, and performing filmmaker. She's a, a director, a writer, producer. You also work as an assistant director, uh, a story producer, and you have won loads of awards. You have been nominated for IFTAS. <laughs> and uh, I know I know that uh, you are very well respected in the industry. And we're very happy that, that you're our board member. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. That's quite an introduction. Um, I'm a little embarrassed. Um... And one more, sorry, one more thing before we begin. I wanted to just say it's our tradition uh, at the start of each of our webinars to say that women in film and television are uh, here to uh, to represent many different women and women identifying people. Uh, we are inclusive um, of all races and abilities and, and um, mindsets and we like to maintain a safe space for everyone to express their thoughts and ideas and give us feedback and we welcome that and so I just want to say that it's all in the mind of in, in the mindset of kindness that we organize these talks so Liz now to you <laughs> I am so curious about the 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 progress that that took you from your start uh, in, in the filmmaking industry to where you are today. Uh, I know from studying your biography and from talking to you and also looking at um, your filmography, I know that you you began um, as, as a writer, director, and also assistant director. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how did you how did you discover filmmaking 
you know, at all. Why did you pick this this uh, career to go into? So I'm, I, I suppose, lucky in a way that it was something I always wanted to do. I kind of knew from quite young that was the most um, exciting area. I mean, I was lucky also that I was uh, I come from a family of kind of writers and artists, and so those kind of options were available in ways that you know other other families don't. Perhaps it was being a writer was kind of like joining the family firm in a way that mm -hmm. isn't. Um, always common so there wasn't anyone saying no you're crazy forget it um in that side um and film really just attracted me because you've got to you know it's all seven arts you know you have music and rhythm and all, all photography you know it's, it's all it's all there and I suppose I, I kind of felt like it was a way of you know life is really tough and the place one of the places that I found some consolation was in the cinema and so, okay. I, I, the, you know, if if I could help bring consolation to others who, you know, who, who don't have the, the privilege, I suppose, to be able to work in the industry, but, you know, work a long, hard week. And if on a Friday night, they could have a little joy and escape or entertainment, then I thought that was like a, a, something that I'd like to, to do. So it mm -hmm. came from that kind of imaginings. Um, and 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 then obviously of course like most you know artists um you know you, ha you have to come from some kind of damaged crazy place to be ambitious <laughs> enough to continue because those are all nice ideas but the actual reality of it is so grueling that a lot of people yes. i think fall away because <clears throat> yeah um, not not as not as fun as it looks yes yes i'm, I'm sure we have lots of um, experiences that we could uh, share to support this theory um uh, and tell me this so how did you when you first began how did you um find the first people to collaborate with was it through like studies of filmmaking or is it because of your family connections that you just knew who to go to no unfortunately my family was no help at all or fortunately or unfortunately um i really the only way the, the way I got in, I was living in New York at the time and mm -hmm. um, just found people that I that would let me work for them for free. Um, you know, that was I think that's, again, part of the challenge of the industry is that like it's it's you kind of can't get in the you, you need to get a credit from somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. The which in my experience um, typically involves working for free and how do you find a way to do that and survive. Um, so, you know, I was working kind of day jobs and then working on movies and luckily, you know, one thing kind of led to another, but I, I think that first paying job is really the biggest challenge once mm -hmm. you're in the door, if you, if you, if you really like it and you're really going to, going to work your socks off, I think you'll probably get another job, but getting mm -hmm. that first one is really the, the biggest issue. Um, and so it was kind of interning on really bad music videos and other kind of things that were, you know, in the in the in the late eighties and early. <laughs> but that was that was exactly what you needed, right, to get that experience and to get your network of people um, going, right? Yeah, I mean, and it was funny because, <clears throat> you know, I think it's possible, like, I, I, maybe I only say it because maybe other people have the same thing where, you know, it, it, my 20s were definitely kind of a time of incredible frustration because I was writing and, and wanted to direct them and the doors were all so closed. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it was, was very lucky that one, that a job 
um, for doing corporate videos happened to be on the same floor as where Martin Scorsese's office was. And I was like, oh my God, how do I get into that office? And I couldn't, but my friend could. So she got in there and then she got me a job there. But again, it was kind of like, well, it's really exciting to work here, but you know, Robert De Niro is not going to be in my short, you know, it's a kind mm -hmm. of, um, <laughs> so I was slightly out of my depth really as fascinating as it was. So I ended up then moving into um, kind of non-union production, which was more at least at a similar level where the people I was meeting, we could collaborate as mm -hmm. opposed to just mm -hmm. kind of dreaming of, you know, and, and it was also quite eye-opening and just because we're in the context of women in film and TV, like it did strike me working for Scorsese that like, this was, it really hit me when I was working for him and I can't remember why, but it became really clear to me really quite quickly that this was never, it, that, this, that, there, that, 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 that was never gonna be possible for me because I was a woman. It was kind of clear, I don't know why and yes, there are occasional female film directors, or at least there were at the time, but it mm -hmm. just seemed really obvious that this, that that life was, uh, and I'm not comparing myself in terms of talent or skill. I'm just saying if mm -hmm. for anyone, um, yes. if, if there was a woman out there with equivalent <laughs> talent and skill, it didn't, it didn't feel like she was going to make her way to the same uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of heights. Let's say he was doing Goodfellas at the time that, that it just wasn't an option. Well, that's really interesting. And uh, so because because you have uh, uh, made it through, you know, these beginnings and you are still in the industry very much involved uh, in, on your latest thing as a story producer, how do you, I mean, if there is a comparison, would you say that um, that has changed, that that, that is um, this, this inability to access that level is there for maybe people starting out and is it there for people who maybe are like you and me who have been in the industry uh, for, for a few years and want to get that next step? Do you feel that that's open now? Um, I think there's a lot of great talk about it and a lot more willingness to, to consider women and certainly like, you know, uh, the the series I'm working on at the moment is a Netflix show and they really are serious about diversity in many ways and they mean it. Um, I think a lot of companies love the idea, but don't when it comes, when push comes to shove, don't quite deliver. Whereas they really will say, no, we need it to be equal. And we need, you know, it can't be all white people or whatever, you know, it, which is, which is fantastic because what I find still at kind of this, when I look up at the corporate level, it's still mostly guys and they're still mostly mm -hmm. white. Um, mm -hmm. but, and they're still mostly of a certain class, of course, as well, and, and level of ability and everything. So I, I think there's a kind of a will to change at least optically. Um, but I think it's, and I know that, you know, being a female TV director right now is actually as good as it's ever, the best it's ever been, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there's still a huge, huge, huge long way to go. Um, mm -hmm. And and I uh, we I think we need a lot more, much more quickly, than the kind of so-called progress we're making. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with you, and that is something we will get into. Um, it's uh, I know it has been uh, one of your um, areas of focus, uh, something you've been vocal about. Uh, you know, women 
doing more and for example getting like women getting into the um, ad making industry which is where you uh, gain more experience where you uh, make those um, important connections and where you can shoot with decent budgets mm -hmm. so that's something we're going to talk about but I I'll just um, backtrack a little bit and just ask you so uh, you said that you really wanted to direct write and direct but uh, in the beginning of your filmography I can see a lot of uh, assistant directing jobs mm -hmm. so how, why did you do that? Do you, did you, was that a necessity mm -hmm. to stay in the business? Uh, why, why was it that um, your choice? And what can you tell me about uh, assistant directing? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was a great, uh, you know, kind of a day job, basically. It was a way mm -hmm. to earn a living in the business. And the fact that it was freelance, um, well, I mean, at first, of course, the jobs were so badly paid that being freelance just you still rolled just you had to roll one into the other into the other but in theory like after a few years when you have those gaps you have a chance to actually write or pursue things um and then and it was all really movies in those days so you might do a movie for eight or 12 weeks but then you might have four weeks off and have a little chance to try to do something and then go back i mean and that that was kind of how i lived for like 10 10 or 12 years, you know, was it was that kind of alternating doing the mm -hmm. job for work and then coming out. And then, and that's how I also, of course, ended up reading in commercials because they were kind of niftier because they were shorter. So you do something yes. for a week or two and then um, it gives you a little more time. But, um, and also the difference, you know, in, in Europe is that there is actually some amount of subsidy for writing and directing, which in the States, like there's no soft yeah. money. So, um, mm -hmm. You, you, it was just, and, and as much as, as much as ADing was not something I ever particularly wanted to do or dreamed of, it's only in retrospect. And I would think mm -hmm. almost every job is kind of like that. It's only afterwards that you realize what you learned on that job. It may mm -hmm. seem really pointless at the time, but all of the, the skills that you inevitably develop doing the job really come in handy. Um, certainly as a director, because I would be firsting with directors who might be from a you know, an editing background or a writing background and would be just overwhelmed on the floor. You know, it is, mm -hmm, it is overwhelming mm -hmm. if you, if you haven't spent that much time there, whereas as an AD, you're right in the middle of the conversations between the DOP and the director. You're hearing, you're, you, you need to know all of the decisions that are being made so that you can mm -hmm. execute them. So um, it was very um, educated. It was a great education. Um, and it's yeah. still something now that I would say, I actually, depending on the job, I would say I really enjoy because it's actually quite satisfying in that you can do a good job and walk away at the end of the day, particularly in something like TV, whereas TV writing or directing, I think is quite cruel because you can pour your heart and soul into it. And then it's like, yeah, see you later. We're doing what we want, you know, yeah. a little more heartbreaking, I think. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And, and tell me this, so you said you started out in the States, but so there was a shift to, to Europe, was there? Mm -hmm. Or uh, are, you, are you somebody who kind of uh, goes back and forth? Um, well, I was born in Dublin and I grew up here and then went to the States because um, at the time there was almost no film industry here when I was, you know, um, 19, mm -hmm. 20. Um, I did come back luckily, happily to work on Far and Away. Um, that was my first <laughs> union gig, which was amazing. Yeah, like I mean, not the not the film necessarily, but the experience. 
um, mm. and then went back to New York for work and then first did a film here because I had met, um, I, I was working at Miramax at the time and I, yes, I did, um, I was actually assistant to Harvey Weinstein when he would come to LA because I moved to LA. So that's a good uh, indication of how different the industry was then, particularly for women. Yeah. Um, mm. um, but I had met Noel Pearson because I was looking after Stephen Ray had been nominated for Crying mm -hmm. Game. And I was working at Miramax at the time. And so I ended up in a, in a, a Noel Pearson hitched a lift with the Stephen Ray limo that we'd booked for him that I was in. And he actually gave me my first directing gig. Um, okay. which was Gold in the Streets back here in Ireland in 96. So I'd already done, and I'd actually first did for him as well on um, Ranky Starlight. So mm -hmm. when I, when we did Gold in the Streets in 1996, uh, it was, it was really, I, I had always enjoyed working in Ireland and also was kind of like, well, even if, even if I'm going to be an AD for the rest of my life, I'd rather do that here than in New York or LA. It's a much, it's just a much nicer place to work, you know, for various reasons. Mm -hmm. So, that mm -hmm. was, and I stayed since then here. So why would you, knowing that you wanted to direct, write and direct, why would you think to yourself if, if AD was what I was gonna do for the rest of my life, why would you have that thought? What was like, what was going on? <laughs> that you had to think that thought you just get your first gig with with no so yeah but I wasn't exactly certain you know that what would come of it and indeed that film was a bit of a disaster <laughs> so I wasn't exactly confident that this was a you know uh, a, a, you know overnight success <laughs> okay so, but again I learned a lot yeah and so who would you who would you go to um, in these moments maybe, maybe when you when you made something that wasn't a success um, who would you go how do you deal with that how because I definitely have been through that myself uh, where um, you know I made something that wasn't that good and then I start doubting myself what would be your uh, um, kind of go to to get support um, or to just hmm. not fall down the self-pitying shoot because I I remember what what happened to me. This is this is a, a actually during my student years at film school, I shot a horrible horrible student project, and I I I lost confidence for a couple of years, you know. And um, it was in the end, it was a teacher who who pulled me out, and he said that you know you are in school to make bad projects. Uh, this is the place to make them. So just, just you know, get over yourself and just keep going. So, and of course, since then, you, you kind of, when you get into the real world, you, you I choose the, the people uh, who I can let my guard down with, you know, and let them know that this is how I feel. But what would you, who would you have reached out to? Um, it's funny. I mean, friends, um, but I, I suppose the, again, without breaking everything into gender, I think there's such a um, uh, convention, let's say, of, I mean, I would genuinely just despair, you know, when, when that came out and it was really attacked and for various reasons, justifiably in some cases, but it was really, uh, you know, kind of devastating, like any kind of grief or, or heartbreak. So, um, it, but it's a question of, okay, well, you know, it's, 
um, what are you going to do? What else are you going to do? You're not, you're, you're not doing it because it's a choice, you know, because it's, because it was, because, because, oh, writing is so easy. Um, you're doing it because you have to do it anyway. So, yeah. okay, well, so what can I write that? I suppose the springboard for me was like, okay, that was a nightmare um, for both reasons I could and couldn't control. Um, and, you know, it, I mean, it was seven years before I made another film, mostly because none of the stuff was getting um, picked up or it would kind of get developed to a certain point and then fall apart and blah, blah, blah. And I finally got to a point where it's like, okay, I have to write something that I know I could direct in 20 days or less, 15 days, with people I know on a minibus right now, so that at least we could make it. And that was the kind of, you know, it's easy looking back to say, oh, that was the, that was the plan. But it was just the inevitable kind of uh, continuous rejection, I guess, forces you into kind of a desperation. Where yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is all I can do, I gotta do this. Um, mm -hmm. And can I ask you this? So, so when you got to that point, uh, did you, I wonder, I think like these days, um, when directors are going for their first uh, bigger films, maybe even like micro budget, low budget features, there is a great expectation here, I find that, you know, people want to be paid. Of course, you want to be paid um, to work for someone. But I, I mean, I, I studied both in America and in the Czech Republic, and I felt like there was this people were embraced and supported by other filmmakers you know and everyone pulled together and they made things for free you know helping each other on each other's projects and sometimes something really amazing came out of it but i, I find that here in ireland there isn't that much room for for that uh, people aren't as willing to lend their time you know without at least like the minimum pay which yeah, it might be 120 euro a day, but on a on a budget, that's that's a lot of money for someone who just wants to try to make their movie. So how, like, when you did this one, um, uh, what was the name? Um, Goldfish Memory. Goldfish Memory. Did you did did you have to come up with a, a chunk of dough to get people enticed, or or was it more supportive uh, for you, like that people actually pitched in? Um, I think we, it was a combination um, because of all the AD work, I had certain friends, let's say, in the industry. Mm -hmm. But the way we structured that was it was a very, it was only 12 person kind of shooting crew. And all the HODs got the same money, which was like, I think maybe 1500 a week. And then all the seconds got maybe 12 and all the thirds got um, nine. And that was it. There was only first, seconds, and thirds in every department. And we didn't have electricians. We didn't have a grip. We didn't have a dolly. We didn't have any equipment. <laughs> Did you have, we didn't a have any lights? <laughs> yeah, we just about had a camera. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, DV cam camera. Um, but it, it, it also we were allowed to do the financing of that, which I, unfortunately Screen Ireland isn't quite doing in the same way anymore. Is we were also able to give proportional interest, so there was a deferral. Mm -hmm. And miraculously, people actually got their deferrals um, because the budget was so small. It was it made money sooner um, mm -hmm. than you would on a big film. So it so but that also created there was a real camaraderie and kind of okay we're all in this together. We're all on the on uh, literally on the minibus. Um, I I mean that's kind of why I lament you know the collapse of something like Filmbase 
because I think that created or had a chance of creating, certainly in the early days, it was a significant kind of community. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I think film, you know, filmmaking is such a team effort. It, it needs, it takes a village or a community or, you know, the, the kind of not networking, but just relationships. And mm -hmm. it's, it's such a shame that we don't now have that kind of hub. And I take your point about people also, you know, it's so busy here now, like with people are getting paid serious money. Um, so of course, if their option is to make a kind of a freebie, a short or a, you know, a big Disney yeah, thing, they're going to go with that. But um, it would be great if we could get back into a, a zone where, again, that even the 120 a day or whatever it is would be acceptable if you keep the the, the shoot short enough. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, and then tell me something about like shifting, no, oh no, I don't want to say shifting, but like going from the different jobs. So from uh, writing, directing, which was your uh, ultimate goal, uh, and then uh, aiding because you were learning a lot there and, and it, it gave you income. How do you then go to producing and now, now um, your new project where you story producing. How does this happen? Are these conscious steps from your you? Or they just oh I wish I wish I had a I wish I had a plan. No, in fact the the my timing was really bad because I after after Goldfish Memory then I did start getting some TV directing work. Um, yes. yeah. so that was fine and great. I was delighted. I was thrilled to get to be actually getting like earning a living as a director was was really thrilling mm -hmm. um but this was just before kind of me too or any interest in in female filmmakers and i just was finding that the quality of the stuff i was getting was just quite demoralizing not to mm -hmm. not to mm -hmm. um speak ill of any of the things that i did that i enjoyed and i'm proud of but i just wasn't I was just doing so many meetings and not really getting anywhere. Now, a lot of that has to do with my bad skills of meetings, you know, like <laughs> I did not kind of pitch well and walk in and like, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, like razzle dazzle, it, it wasn't my um, comfort zone. And, mm -hmm. um, and I just got to the point where it's like, oh my God, if all, if all I'm going to do is do this kind of like, I got to, I got to, there's, there's more to life than, Mm -hmm. like this some of this tv stuff um so i actually kind of thought yeah, i'm done and uh mm -hmm. walked away and did yoga teacher training and i thought that's where i'm gonna that's it i'm out um and then um but there had been a, a juanita wilson i had firsted her film as if i'm not there over in mm -hmm. macedonia and she had written the script tomato red and i had done a breakdown for them and I said, oh my God, if you're ever making this, please let me come and make the tea, whatever. I just loved the script so much. I thought it was great. And I wanted to be involved. And then when they, they were finally making it, they were going to make it in um, New Orleans first and contacted me about firsting it. And I was saying, it's really, you need to get a, a local first because it's a, it's a mm -hmm. minefield. Um, and then it turned out that it wasn't going to be New Orleans, but eventually between the jigs and the reels, they, um, James asked, would I actually produce it? Because he couldn't be there full time. So mm -hmm. that was the first time. And it was kind of creative producing, not, it, was the it wasn't financing, okay. it wasn't um, line producing, you know, it was very much trying to support Juanita's vision 
with the tools that we had. Um, mm -hmm. And um, we ended up shooting it in Canada. Um, and I, I feel sorry for Juanita because I got completely sucked into the production dimension of it. And there was almost no creative conversation because again, it was a tight budget and <laughs> yeah. you're just trying to like mind the traffic, never mind to like, you know, mm -hmm. the but, um, but I did, I, it was a really fantastic experience. And then weirdly then they, when they needed a producer for the second couple of seasons of Vikings, they said, um, would you, you know, would you like to do it? And I was like, yeah, of course. Cause it was an amazing, I had first did a, a block of Vikings anyway. So mm -hmm. I knew, I knew yes. a bit about the show. Um, and also again, that was kind of the dream job because it was the above the line. It was really dealing with cast and scripts and directors. Mm -hmm. um, and the finance was already there. I wasn't, you know, trying to deal with the, I mean, the budget obviously is always yeah. impacted by these things, but it wasn't, that wasn't my primary focus. It was really the mm -hmm. above the line which was fantastic. And it felt like a combination of the writing and directing and AD skills were all being used in one place. Mm -hmm. So. And I wonder because of the scale of it, were you at all intimidated? Or did, did, it's just something you kind of have to push out of your mind? As a first, it was really kind of overwhelming because every scene has special effects, visual effects, animals, fights like it's a tough gig as a first ad it is really really busy big extra scenes you know it's period it's just a big machine um and yeah i suppose the first block in particular i was really like expecting to get fired any minute you know i'd see a meeting yeah. going on and i'd be like they're talking about firing me <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i guess it was intimidating um but it's a it was you know it, that that show was such a well-oiled machine by the time I was coming in and they mm -hmm. kind of you know it was and I knew a lot of the crew already from working on it and from just working in the business so it was a really lovely uh atmosphere and you know Morgan O'Sullivan sets a very mm -hmm. um supportive and encouraging mm -hmm. you know his kind of philosophy is like hire good people and encourage them and let them go as opposed yeah. to micromanaging. So that's right. So everyone is kind of inspired and, you know, trying stuff out and, and, and mm -hmm. collaborating, I suppose. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. that was I'm happy to hear that, um, that it seems like the, it was, even though it was this big and intimidating, it seems like there was support for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And Liz, I have a question here that might, might be relevant right now. Um, we have a, a question from Sonia Murphy. How does someone get a start as an AD? So you just told us how, how you kind of got into it, but um, that was when you were, you said 1920. Um, would you have any, any suggestion how someone goes about it now when they don't know anyone? Where would be the first port of call? Um, well, I suppose uh, it's, the, the, and it's harder now with COVID, of course, but what you really want to do is meet someone. Like if I'm, if, if I'm a first and someone is contacting me, um, I need to meet them to know whether I can take a chance on them um, and kind of defend them. Because ultimately, if they make a mistake, it's my problem. And I'm not, mm -hmm. you're not going to blame the trainee if something goes wrong. Um, so, um, and so that kind of knowing you have a certain chemistry is really important getting a sense of the person if they if they are kind of meticulous and reliable mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff um so so anyone you can possibly meet 
um, is, I would say, key. I mean, I'd say this is probably true across the departments. Um, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and one little strategy that actually worked for me before, I can't remember where I heard it, but some kind of business thing where if you ask for what they call like an informational interview, where you're not approaching someone saying, hi, can I have a job? But you're more like, hi, I'm, I'm, I'd love to pick your brain. Yeah. Very few people can resist um, their brain being picked. And likewise, yeah. at the end of that conversation, e even if it's over Zoom, it's probably, um, they, they, they will often come away offering you something. Kind of mm -hmm. saying, okay, well, maybe I'll, I can put you in touch with so-and-so, or maybe they, you know, there might be one little thing they can do for you um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and which you can take them up on. And just one thing I would advise as well, if they do, people always say, you know, oh, let me know how you get on. And then so often the person vanishes and you never hear how they get on. Whereas if they actually did end up getting a job from this recommendation, it's nice to hear back that it's All right. somewhere. So, I, but, and I would also say, you don't want to be like a pest, but mm -hmm. people are used to being um, bombarded. And mm -hmm. so like, you know, someone might contact me and it might be just a crazy minute, but I'll say like, okay, can you come back in a few weeks? And, and they come back in a few weeks and I'm like, okay, well, now I have to see you because, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's, it's like that balance of kind of being polite, but also being persistent. Um, persistent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, I like, yeah. I like that. I remember in, in film, film school, they told us to, to invite people for coffee, to pick yeah. their brain right. and then to follow up every three months schedule yeah. an email and just, or a phone call and just kind of remind them that you're still here and you're still yeah. interested. Um, yeah, okay, so hopefully, so Sonia, that, that was uh, so sufficient. Um, and then, um, mm -hmm. oh, I'll get to that, but okay. Um, so, wow, there's so much, there's so much uh, that, uh, that you've already told me about you that I had no idea about. Uh, I would like to ask you, um, so do you think like, is directing still something that you see in your future or have you closed the door to it? Is there such a thing as closing a door or because you said it's just something you have to do? Yeah, I think if, if I, I certainly have, I don't have any um, kind of, if I walk on the set on Valhalla, I'm not at all going, oh my God, I wish I was doing that, you know? And that's, but also probably because that's a particular kind of series that isn't my, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I think what, in terms of directing, if I'm, if I'm gonna be directing again, and you know, there, there's something kind of burbling away in the background, if it happens, I'll probably go back more to my kind of original, I suppose more authentic taste, which is completely out there, art house, experimental, non-narrative, you know, like, um, mm -hmm. so not, it's, it's not gonna be, I'm not gonna do any more pitching myself for the commercial marketplace. Um, mm -hmm. Cause that's, I, I, and I really admire directors who, who work in that space and, and enjoy it. Um, mm -hmm. It's not, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like, if I do it again, it's too personal to even go in there. I'd rather make something really tiny mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I love and that I hope, uh, you know, other niche people also love, um, but it's, it's, I won't be kind of uh, going back out there saying, you know, yeah, pick me. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's also some you know, just part of maturing and just finding kind of who you are and trusting who you are and what it is that you like. Correct. It's yeah, it's. Yeah. I, I I mean, for me, for me, in the beginning, it was all about ambition, just wanting to prove that I can do something. But the older I get, the more I just um just start started trusting um what's coming from the inside just just being being patient and maybe not patient but just to to trust that not everything is for me mm-hmm. and it's okay mm-hmm. and you know and that which is for me is gonna feel good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um I, I mean if there's anyone kind of up there <laughs> going through the similar thing um um I hope I hope that you can find that um, that those the things that are for you, you will know what they are. Yeah. And Liz, I I saw that uh, you've done quite a few as a director. You you've kind of switched with I I say the word switch a lot. I apologize. You've went from a lot of different um, uh, uh, genres, but you went from narratives to documentary, and I wonder. Um, is there something that you prefer out of these two or experimental or could it be could you just get interested in any anything really it it matters what the story is or how do you where do you find yourself yeah again the the kind of opportunity for the documentary came to me rather than my um, pursuing it and so it was a really really enjoyable really interesting um process you know where like yeah I think ultimately you're you're really telling a story in any mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. genre and it's and and story not just as in like you know inciting incident and plot but an experience and so you're like whether it's whether it's through music and and images or spoken dialogue or observational documentary it's 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 trying to trying to give the audience something to feel um, mm-hmm. and some and some feeling of meaning potentially you know, without getting too you know highfalutin um, so i think that objective translates the it's like speaking a language you know the language might be a little different but the mm-hmm. uh, communication is the same um, regardless mm-hmm. and at least mm-hmm. i suppose with again with people starting out um you know if, if you're not going down the ad route but you're really going to want to make films like documentary offers you the opportunity right here right now to make films you know you can can make a film now whereas again mm-hmm. when i was starting out you're shooting on film you're editing on film you're getting processed like it's like phenomenally expensive i would say that obviously sound is not yeah and i'm sure you would say yeah. picture is shite <laughs> But um, but you can you can observe and and pl- practice and play I suppose with the tools that are there and and and, and learn a lot doing it then. So who knows? I may, maybe I'll be working on an iPhone next. <laughs> not an iPhone, Android. <laughs> I think uh, there is a smartphone film festival in Dublin, several years uh, running. So you know maybe we'll see one of your films there. <laughs> but Liz, I, I actually have to ask you, I know, I know, or I have heard that if you want to be a director, you should really find your kind of angle and, and try to stick to it. So almost finding your niche, 
because if you are perceived as uh, somebody who directs anything, then people don't know where to put you and they don't know how to help you develop. Or maybe, maybe say funding funding bodies don't take you seriously. Yeah. But would you say that's that's uh, there's some truth to it or or in your experience, you should just pursue whatever it is that just strikes you and not, not kind of um, aim at doing that one thing that where you might be noticed because you do it consistently and you do it well. What do you think? Um, I think you'd have to, well, personally, I think you'd have to, uh, certainly it's good to identify for yourself your own taste. You know, like if you're not a horror person, you're never going to fake it. Um, or or sci-fi or whatever it may be, I would I you know I to me it feels like such a luxury to have that kind of choice around okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do this when always I was just kind of taking what 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 was offered um, mm -hmm. and and making the most of it. Um, it's certainly for agents um, if you're look if you're going to be approaching agents they very much like to have a a box that they can pitch you as this one does comedy this one does you know horror, whatever it might be. Um, and I don't know so much about funding bodies, but I do know again about commercials. It's like, this is a dialogue person. This is a VFX person. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's it's probably yeah, useful to people who haven't worked with you, if you can look at something. And if you have a particular passion, if your dream in life is to do comedy, then absolutely don't mess around with other stuff if you have a choice. Um, mm -hmm. But for me it was more of a scramble <laughs> yeah well i i'm a bit of that myself i have to say <laughs> but you mentioned uh, um you mentioned um shopping for an agent i'm really interested in that i wonder if some of our listeners might be at which point is it a, is it time for a director to go and find an agent and how do you go about it i mean i spent years knocking on agents doors for, to no effect really. Um, and then it was because uh, kind of a, uh, maybe a friend, but more like a colleague recommended me to someone who was looking for new people. And that was what um, made, the, made the difference. Um, it's, it's also, I suppose, that's again, not, not to the phone thing, but if you can, let's say you make a little film, no matter how small, if it wins an award, agents like that. So for example, with Goldfish Memory, like it was this thing of, okay, if you, if you get into the festival, great. If you attend the festival, you have a better chance of getting an award. If you get an award, a distributor in that territory is probably gonna pick it up. And so, you know, I would say it's similar for the agent thing. If they feel like they have something that they can then pitch the buyer, oh, mm -hmm. you've won this award or that award, suddenly it, it opens these doors. And the awards, it doesn't, it's not gonna be the palm door. It just has to be something that uh, you know they can put beside your name to to make other people think it's good, and because that's mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. they're trying to do. Um, it is really tough to get an agent. Having an agent doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have work. Yeah, um, is it worth it? <laughs> yeah. So what is what is in it then for directors? Well, Why I have an agent? It's it's crucial, I think, particularly like if you're going the kind of conventional, what, what I think is kind of at the moment, the kind of conventional director route, you're going to want to be, you know, all the, the main, let's say London, for example, producers, like in Dublin, it's less critical to have an agent because for Irish 
work because um, people are going to know you or not, but you can you can you can communicate with people directly here. You don't need an agent necessarily to get you in the door. Um, you can do it by hook or by crook. But even at that, having an agent to negotiate your deal is definitely better. Um, and or either you're going to do it yourself, and you know, ugh, that's that's really awkward, or you have to employ a lawyer, and that's really expensive. And they're also not always thinking about your career. It's more the kind of the deal itself, so mm. it can be tricky. Whereas but then if you're if you want to be considered for the uk the producers are all going to go to the n agency and say hi we're hiring for this like just for now i was i was looking at writers for valhalla and we were looking at uk agencies so i go to a uk agency and say we're hiring for these dates and they send me six people who they think would fit so you want to be one of those six people who are getting on the list okay and, and proposed and after mm -hmm. that then they look at the work then maybe there's a meeting but the agent is the one who will get you through the door. And for most of the, certainly the UK producers, I think not having an agent would, it's very hard to get in the room with mm -hmm. that one. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. That's, that's great to know what the, what the benefits are. And so you, you said you, um, that, that brings me to your latest project. You said that you were seeking people for um, writer's room. Mm. Right. So tell me a little bit about that. If you, if you are free to talk about this. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's kind of, it's done and dusted. So the, the, we, we have hired the writers, I should say, up front. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, so this is for the third season. Um, you know, Morgan's ambition has always been to create a, a, a pool of Irish writers who are world-class and can work um, on American and other shows. Um, and it's been, and it's really a struggle because I can say it out loud, our national broadcaster has not employed writers anywhere near the degree one might expect of any other national broadcaster in Europe. I think it's safe to say, I think RTE themselves would say that, um, mm -hmm. you know, we have kind of, um, over the past decade, I think the dearth of writing opportunities for Irish writers has now resulted in a dearth of writers whose credits are enough that I can then bring them into the conversation because I, mm -hmm. I can't go to MGM and Netflix and say, here's someone who's brilliant, you know, has been working on, but, but has only got Irish credits, let's say, um, mm -hmm. for the past, sorry, there's just a bit of noise. Um, it, they, they're going to have to have some international credits for me to be able to get them in the door. And, you know, so Love Hate did really well for Stuart Carolyn which is fantastic, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it, there's like, we have only Stuart Carolyn. We need, we need shows like the clinic or like raw that have yeah. a little bit of a continuity uh, and, and now at least, and, but those shows again, weren't really seen on UK or US TV. So it's, so I know we're kind of talking about directors, but for writers in particular, it's really tough. So we've, we've, mm -hmm. we've managed to get a few Irish writers into the um, Valhalla scenario. Um, and one of them is a, a woman who's doing really, really amazingly well on the show, which is fantastic. Um, but it's a, it's a slow process that I do lay at the feet of, um, of the lack of drama writing opportunities here. Um, okay. rather than, rather than it's not a question of talent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's just really interesting. So, um, I mean, I know you're not, uh, uh, you, you didn't come here to offer solutions, but I just wonder, where do we say as a women in film and television, where can we 
possibly, what door can we knock on um, to create these changes? Um, I know we, we, you know, we briefly discussed the uh, kind of trying to get women more into doing um, commercial work so that they can uh, polish their skills, they can get, you know, good looking uh, footage for their reels uh, because there is, there are budget in ads. But what do you think, what do you think could be done? Should we be knocking on the doors of broadcasters then? Um, okay, so here's uh, <laughs> my manifesto. Um, I suppose, you know, there's, the, there's kind of twin tracks. There's the, there's the internal and the external. And, uh, you know, I should say, of course, you know, when we're speaking about the, the sexism that we experience, it's, it's always linked to the other isms of, you know, homophobia, transphobia, classism, you know, racism, like we're all actually fighting the same struggles um, or it's all the same struggle, basically. Um, equality is well we're, what yeah. we're looking for across the board, I think. Um, so, you know, internally, we can always continue to look at our own biases and our own um, expectations and kind of do that work to, so that we can be doing something in parallel with the external work. Um, and I think that it's been, interesting to observe that even with the, um, you know, the probably the most pro-equality CEO Screen Ireland could have possibly had, we still didn't hit 50-50 in 2020. Yes. BAI have done a lot of really great work trying to create more equality. Like people are well, really well-intentioned and working really hard and it's not happening. So I think we need quotas. I'm sick of talking about it. It's over, it's done, it's proven. There is no incremental change happening. If, even mm -hmm. with the best energy and the best will and the best determination, it's not happening. The only way to do it is slam some brutal numbers in there and force it through to happen. Because the, the gently, gently approach, it's like civil rights in the US. It's like, it's gonna take another 50 years before we even are, you know, it's, it's, it's or a hundred years, it's not happening. Yes. So that's, yes. the, that's, but I also think it's easy or at least it's heartening, at least, you know, with Screen Ireland and the BAI who get a lot of attention because, you know, because they're public um, mm -hmm. and, and taxpayers money. So we, we have the opportunity to kind of pressurize them and, and in, in a way, and they respond very gracefully to that pressure. Um, but equally, there are all of these kind of hidden figures who are actually insidiously really blocking change as well. So yeah, mm -hmm. probably most people here have heard me rant on about Please do, please industry. do, Grandpa. You know, for example, you know, uh, uh, you can you can go to film school. You can be the first in your class. You can do amazing sh shorts and win awards, and and then nothing happens. Whereas, at least in my experience, what I see is all of the TV director commercials directors are male. And if you look at all the established male directors in this country, like Lenny Abramson, like Connor Horgan, like Patty Brennock, anyone you can hear in Donnelly, they've all gone through the commercials track. And that's amazing training. It's like getting your PhD because you have yes. all the elements of making a movie, but it's compressed into time and you've got to deliver. And you've got to deliver to really annoying clients and an agency. Mm -hmm. And you've got to tell a story in 30 seconds and, and that it, it can create some bad habits if you do it forever, and, um, mm -hmm. obviously. But women being totally shut out of that equation means that you get 
probably how many women uh, how many irish women have ever directed a second feature never mind a third like very like one hands worth so mm -hmm. that's because there's no you can't earn a living doing it and you're also not getting in the door and the, the thing is it's not the agency's fault because they do want to hire women particularly pull the trigger max is always trying to get women but the client doesn't want to hire the woman so what we need what we can do is pressurize the client because the whole reason they're making ads is because they want you to think well of their brand yes well, we could expose yes. well done stores have you ever hired a female director has Falter ireland ever hired a female commercial director have any of these has boots has tesco has whoever just ask them the question on twitter maybe <laughs> you oh know, my gosh i love that <laughs> can you can you show us your track record and show us that actually your commitment to I mean, the ads themselves are bad enough from a sexist point of view. We're still mm, getting mm. ads about women doing the laundry and dads doing the football. Like that's that's yes. one thing, I mean, that's quite <laughs> obvious. But it's the behind the scenes where they're getting away with it. And mm. I feel like we could expose them a little more because they should be sensitive to public opinion. That's that's what their marketing department is there to manage. Mm -hmm. So, and do you think it should be women in film and television? Or are we like the first to, to go because nobody else is going? Well, maybe we could help people. Um, you know, I think there's strength in numbers. And I think it's, mm -hmm. it, I don't know what the, the board, how the board would feel, but we could certainly kind of help people. I suppose it's like, you know, if you want to write to your TV, but what is their email address and how do you do it? And what do you say exactly? We could be perhaps supportive to people if they do want to, um, mm -hmm you know, expose this, we could also, if there are people who are, you know, we could, we could kind of be a link, I suppose, to kind of look at campaigns like this to, to mm -hmm. see how do you, how do you get more women into that gap area? And then, I mean, you could expand from that because of course, how many female DOPs did they hire? Hmm, maybe zero. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's interesting that you say that. Um, it's, it's funny because I, um, I pro probably because of women in film and television, I, I, I my name has been a bit more visible than before, and I have been approached by two um, producer um, commercial producer companies. Great. Uh, and yeah, but Liz, okay. I don't have a commercial show reel, uh, and so that 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 door immediately shut. Uh, unfortunately, okay. when you get something, please contact us. Mm -hmm. So. There was this this initial interest in like we're trying to diversify. However, oh, you don't have that show reel, so it's it's th that was a bit of a slap in the face, I have to say. Um, but um, you are right. I only know two women who who uh, work um, in commercials, and only one does it regularly. Mm. And I feel um, uh, I feel that. Um, um, you know, as women and, and our listeners here, I would love you for you to weigh in on this. Uh, if, if this is something you would like us as women in film and television to, to, to start developing a strategy around. Um, I, I'm absolutely willing. <laughs> and I love Liz that, that you, you, you feel the same way and that you are so outspoken about it. Um, so please, please do weigh in, uh, email us, let us know how you feel about this, because I think that would be, um, that would be a way in. And I think that uh, the days of pressuring um, uh, Screen Ireland and BAI, they're not over, but they've, you know, they are already 
on the track of doing making change. So we we have meetings with them and we talk with them, and so those are already, you know, pushing. Um, and it is these other untapped resources that we haven't approached yet that, that I think also uh, need to be in our strategy. Um, and I also uh, wanted to, um, I may have, it may have just slipped my mind, but um, hmm. no, I, I wanted to say that um, I feel that when it comes to quota, I absolutely agree with you, Liz. Uh, I think it's necessary. And I think that more and more, or I see that more and more women in film and television boards in other countries are waking up to that same uh, um, reality that this is something they're gonna have to push. Uh, and I, for example, witnessed a panel um, in the Czech Republic um, um, where there were women producers, directors, DOPs actually talking about, I think we might need this. And I remember five years ago speaking to a few of those women about quota and they were just like, like why? Like we can get there just on our talent alone. <laughs> and then, you know, it, the progress is so slow and um, something me, uh, myself and, and uh, our, our um, chair, Susan Liddy feels strongly about is, is the topic of aging and how this, this slow process is aging talented, experienced women out of, out of the, business, you know, out of the industry. So it's definitely something that um, I think it's necessary for us to address. Ah, thank you very much for talking about it. I just noticed that we've got new messages here. And now that it's come to about an hour of us talking, I think it is it is time to open up to questions from our listeners. So let me just see, um, what have we get there? Louise, Gaherty. Hello, Louise. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I hope I am. Um, there are already quotas. They are just unofficial and always favor men. Ah, I wonder. <laughs> Can you prove that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what else have we got here? Um, well said, Liz. Thank you for banging uh, the gender quota drum for so long and for being such a straight talker about the problem. You are a much needed leader. Thank you. That's from Fiona Ash, writer-director uh, and uh, one of my collaborators. Um, what else do we have here? Definitely Shannon over at Equality, sorry, Equity has recently utilized Uplift to help with exactly that sort of campaign with writing TDs. So it's so easy, less than two minutes to do. Okay, so we're getting some feedback on um, and support on our um, discussion here. Amen, Liz, that's a great idea. <laughs> All right, but do you, thank you. We're very happy that, that you feel the same way. <laughs> but are there any questions as far as, as, far as um, uh, you know, anything we discussed, ADing, directing and uh, producing, Think on it, please write us. But I actually do have one more question. So, so this 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 writers room that you were looking for write for writers for, you said that uh, you said to me um, when we discussed what we were going to discuss today that you are the, the story producer mm. on this uh, now. So, what is the difference from like being a producer to being a story producer? What does um, it entail? 
I suppose it, you know, I'm sure it varies from from shows to show, um, from show to shows. In this case, um, you know, um, on Vikings, we had only one writer who wrote 89 episodes, which is kind of phenomenal. Um, but wow. so we were able to operate nowhere. just as a yeah, the, the producer could kind of produce the writer, and that was all. Um, he, he was he was he was amazing. Um, so in this case. <laughs> you know, most, most human beings can't do that or don't, and, and wouldn't attempt it. So um, in this case, Jeb Stewart is the showrunner who is a, um, a showrunner in the sense that he's also, you know, engaging with the directors and, and Michael was too, but um, Jeb wrote the first two episodes of season one, for example, and then we had other writers who were writing the rest of the episodes and then Jeb would do his polish. And so, and there was a room, a season one room, and then a season two room. And this mm -hmm. time round, it's actually Jeb plus eight writers. So obviously, you know, those writers all need to be um, supported through the process. So that's the kind of, so that's a full-time job in itself, just yeah. mm -hmm. looking after script. Um, and there is still a producer on the ground who is running the show and who, you know, eventually our scripts get into the production machine and they kind of become the production scripts then the changes mm -hmm. we'll be aware of, but we're not generating them at that point. It's coming like a director has notes or a special effects or whatever it may be. Um, so I'm just trying to kind of help Jeb manage the, the kind of assembly line um, of getting okay. the scripts mm -hmm. through the process um, in such a way that they can be then filmed effectively. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as far as the other roles in film that you've done, is this something that right now you find fulfilling that you, you enjoy? I love it. Yeah, it's great because I get just working with writers and I don't have to get up at 530 in the morning and be on the set because someone is sick at six or, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's been really amazing also luckily through COVID because it was something we could continue mm -hmm. to work remotely um, all the way through because story, mm -hmm. you know, and scripting keeps happening all the time. Um, and it's it's amazing to live in a world of you know imagination. That's yeah. Kind of I, I I I I presume it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Um, uh, we have new messages coming in, so I'm just going to turn to them. Um, how do we manage a quota without accidentally causing another stumbling block for other minority groups? Presumably, it would be a basic of 33 to 33 to 33 identifying male, female, other. I'm not sure if you're seeing these uh, in the chat yeah, um, list. Yeah, that's a really good question. But um, then what happens to say women who are disabled? Yeah, now, I mean, I'm just making this up out of my head, right? So I'm not mm. speaking for the board or anybody else. Yes. And, um, yes. But my, and, and I, of course, at the exact time as we were talking about 50-50, it was at the back of my mind of like, hmm, yeah. Male and female is quite a uh, becoming less and less relevant uh, yes. breakdown. Um, but I, th my instinct or inclination would be to try to look at proportionality in society. So if we have in in you know 100 of the people, if if 40 are identifying as male, as 40 identifying as female, and 20 or something else, then that's the quota we need to reflect. Likewise, mm -hmm. race, disability ethnicity, whatever the kind of social proportionality is, I'd use that as the, as the quota to see if we're, mm -hmm. we're, match, we're mirroring the society that we're supposed to be yeah. operating in. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And it's definitely up for a, a discussion of the wider community, right? It's not just uh, us here uh, kind of thinking, how would we set it up? It, it would have to go and really survey the whole, um, the whole, I would say, film industry, see how this could be done. So it's definitely a, something I think um, that won't happen tomorrow, but um, um, I wonder if, um, you know, because we are change leaders, definitely as women in film and television, I think we have, we have um, proven that this is something we can push. So hopefully, hopefully we get enough support uh, 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 and after we discuss it as a board, um, we'll find ways of going forward with something like this. Um, yeah, we have the figures from the census in terms of what the population looks like. So mm -hmm. the figures in the business are a little more murky, but I think we can safely say, directors, we know it's not 50-50. Writers, we know it's mm -hmm. not. DOPs, we know it's not 50-50. You know, so um, there's a certain amount of science and a certain amount of kind of. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what I'm what I'm always uh, what I'm always a little bit disappointed with is that the solutions of um, these bodies that we shine a light on and ask them to 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 um, be more gender balanced, their solutions always are around training and just just mm -hmm. kind of giving putting money into training us to no ends. Uh, and I I feel like the money has to go into into the production. There actually has to be money that is given for us to shoot things, you know to write yeah. things, to direct things, to shoot things. But so far, so that, that has been my biggest frustration. <laughs> um, uh, so, so, so far, um, I don't know if there are enough progressive minds uh, in, in these organizations that, that think that this, that's necessary. So uh, it's also not just coming up with, um, uh, I think it's not just, uh, that we have to come up with how how the uh, quotas could be broken up, but also we have to be those who come up with the solutions because nobody else is doing it, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I hope uh, I hope that we are not bogging you down uh, too much <laughs> with this, but it seems like uh, people are interested in this conversation. Um, however, it is it, you know it is almost uh, time for us to say goodbye, Liz. Um, I have kept you for over an hour, so uh, I'll say if you have any any further question questions for Liz, if if you feel that you want to ask something, please pop it in the in the chat window, um, and I will just just kind of wrap up with um, maybe a final um, kind of final. Um, uh, question to, to for advice. What would you advise women who who are kind of maybe trying to come up with some sort of strategy how to how to get their career off the ground? Um, what are the doors they should be knocking on? Say they are di directors, writers, directors. What are those doors uh, that they need to be opening, um, uh, or how can they prepare themselves best to when the door opens so that they are um, looked at and, and, you know, considered seriously. Um, yeah, I guess, I and mean, it feels a bit rich giving advice, frankly, but I'll just give my opinion anyway, and, <laughs> and if it resonates. Um, but I mean, there's, there's kind of two sides to that. One is that, you know, there's a, 
a guy called Seth, and it's not Seth Rogen, but he's a he's a tech guy. Um, tech a, guy. A, a tech, oh, sorry, tech, tech. tech sorry. <laughs> you should be tech. <laughs> um, a tech tech guy. <laughs> Uh, but his 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 I, I suppose the problem is we're operating in a paradigm that we know is unfair, and yet we're trying to somehow have a different experience in that paradigm, which is really frustrating. Um, so I suppose you know I, I don't want to like it's easy for me to say right, but I think the trick is to always be making the art somehow, whatever way it is, just because his this guy Seth's thing is kind of always be shipping so it's like you it might just be for you and your friends make it keep making it keep making it keep making it they can't stop you making it they can stop you getting on the big netflix series yes um it, uh, and that, that's a different thing but they can't stop you making a film yourself or telling telling a story yourself and if you and if in theory you do it enough so it resonates with someone mm -hmm. and, it, and then it goes viral and then you know it, and it could be the first one it could be the 50 millionth one but there is mm -hmm. at least you're in control at least you're you have agency in your development as an artist and practitioner because the the worst part of this whole industry is being so like an actor hoping someone will that god will shine down on you and pick you out of the multitudes and it's just so disempowering the whole process of, of pitching yeah. and auditioning and all that kind of stuff so that's that's kind of what i would do for my own sanity is just keep keep working don't they can't stop you working um and then i suppose the other thing i would say particularly to women pitching um go in there like a man if you're yes. gonna be in a in a conversation that is uh gender skewed which it is tell them you're amazing you can do anything oh yeah no problem you should have seen my last job check this out you won't believe it i can do it no problem like promise them the world because that's what guys do they come in and shamefacedly like bulldoze you and um people like that people want to be overwhelmed with your enthusiasm and you're 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 a superstar wow whereas what i always did and I've see, I, I see other women still doing it every day is like well you know it's okay yeah. it wasn't so great it was you know whatever like i had two women on the on the call today who have both created their own series who were when they were asked to just give a little bit of background they just skipped right over that part of their biography like wow. you know and so it's it's a it's a i mean maybe we need maybe the training we need is how to bullshit yeah. you know? <laughs> Wow, that's fantastic. I have to say, I keep hearing that uh, from from uh, women who, who have um, had experience in their in their own fields. Uh, that, and that seems to be that overwhelming advice I, I keep getting lately is just be a man, approach this as a guy, absolutely own everything. Yes, you can do it. You can always learn it later. You can ask yeah. for advice later. And I actually have to say a few years ago, I, I follow, I have a friend, a cinematographer who shoots quite, you, you know, big series uh, over in the UK. And when he first moved from Ireland to take his first job in the UK, he was uh, met with a situation that he hadn't done before. He was supposed to do a night shoot on a TV series, a crime, a crime TV series. And he didn't know how to light it. 
So he went on Facebook and he said, anyone who is, who is a DP or a camera person or lighting, what do I do? I have this big scene. I have Gillian Anderson and whatnot. And how do I like this thing? And he gave us measurements of how the street was long, oh you know, what, what lamps there were. And he just gathered, you know, people started answering and, and he, he pulled it out of the out, out of the Facebook pool. And then, you know, following week was like, thank you guys. Like you really <laughs> saved me. And I think a woman would be so intimidated if she knew that she was going to shoot a night scene and she hadn't done it before. She would maybe be too afraid to ask like this publicly or even to say, yes, I can, I can shoot that. No problem. So definitely, I always think of him, you know, he goes into things not knowing how to do it. And then he just asks people, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so yeah, that's a great advice. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. Hey, we're, we're all gonna be like your friend now. <laughs> I'll, t I'll tell you his name later. <laughs> no, uh, he, he's, a, he's a wonderful uh, friend and a DOP. So, I think with that, with that brilliant advice, uh, I'm going to wrap this up. Liz, I, I am beyond thankful that you joined uh, me for this discussion. And I know I could be asking you so much more for so much longer, but now that's, that's it for today. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. And hopefully we'll continue this conversation to the streets. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support Women in Film and TV Ireland or see the work we do, log on to wft.ie.